Psalm 139 concludes with these words. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. We're going to uh, turn now to a New Testament passage of scripture in Titus. Uh, the book of Titus and chapter 3 and reading from verse 3. Titus chapter 3 and reading from verse 3 down to verse 9. Titus chapter 3 and beginning from verse 3. Let's hear God's word. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Saviour toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works, These things are good and profitable to men, but avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. And we thank God for his word and the reminder of the gracious nature of God's action on our behalf, his mercy was the initiation of the salvation that through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit uh, whom he has poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Saviour. I want you to turn with me if you would in your your Bibles to Deuteronomy and uh, chapter 29. Deuteronomy and chapter 29. Deuteronomy chapter 29. We're going to read from verse 29 of chapter 29 down to verse 20 of chapter 30. And uh, what we have in the book of Deuteronomy is a what is, what is probably a series of, of sermons that um, Moses preached to the children of Israel as they were approaching the river Jordan, uh, ready to cross into the promised land and in these messages that Moses shares with the people he is effectively renewing the covenant that they were brought into at Mount Sinai when God spoke to them from heaven when he gave them the ten commandments and then all the other uh, laws 
that were to govern them as a people, both as a community uh, and also in their religious life and in their moral and ethical behaviour. And so Moses repeats a lot of the content that we have uh, in Exodus that refers to that time. And what we're going to see is that Moses actually expands on the things that has been, have been said previously and gives them a great deal of detail about what it means to know the blessing of God when you walk in obedience. But then, as it were, the obverse of that, that the curse of God that comes upon those who will not walk in his ways in accordance with the old covenant pattern. Now what we're going to be looking at this evening is what Moses, under the inspiration of God, says to the people that encourages them to see that though they will fail, God has a way in which their situation can be transformed. So reading from verse 29 um, uh, of, verse, uh, of chapter 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Now it shall come to pass, when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice, According to all that I command you today, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you and from there he will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed. And you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Also, the Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecuted you. And you will again obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments, which I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abound in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your land for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your fathers. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which are written in this book of the law. And if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. For this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us 
that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. In that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear, and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, to give them. And uh, we look to the Lord to give us understanding of his word. Well, we're going to be uh, looking at this passage uh, together this evening. Uh, once again, if it, it helps you, the main focus of our thoughts are going to be on verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And, and our theme for this evening is simply this, the necessity of a radical transformation of the heart. The necessity of a radical transformation of the heart. When Moses was preaching to the children of Israel there by the river Jordan, uh, before they were to cross into the land, he was about 120 years old. Quite remarkable that he'd be such an age. Um, God obviously sustained him and strengthened him uh, for that long period of 40 years from 80 onwards uh, to be the leader of God's people. And as we've already observed, this is a second preaching of God's law to his people, especially detailing the blessings and the curses which were attached to that old covenant. Blessings for obedience and cursing for disobedience. And the detail of that is found in chapters 27 and 28. And the severe warning comes to them that if they truly do depart from the, the, the covenant, if they persist in disobedience, then they will suffer exile and rejection. It's there in the last couple of verses of, of chapter 29. Uh, verse 27, then the anger of the Lord was aroused against this land uh, and he would bring on it every curse that is written in this book. And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger, in wrath and in great indignation and cast them into another land as it is this day. 
And this is what God threatens them with. You know, he says to them, if you're going to persist in unbelief after all that I've done for you in redeeming you out of Egypt, then that is what you're going to know. But what we're doing here in turning largely to chapter 30 is to consider how the curse for disobedience can actually be turned again to blessing. To look at an answer to the question, is there any hope for Israel? Especially as the covenant obligations are too much for them. They've already proved that by the way in which they made those calf idols uh, there at Mount Sinai and then had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years because of their unbelief and their lack of faith. Is there a way for the curse for disobedience to be turned again to blessing? And there are just three things that I want you to notice uh, from this passage. The first of them is this, that right from the first verse of this chapter, as Moses is bringing the teaching that he's giving them to an end, he tells them, you will fail because you have a bad heart. You will fail because you have a bad heart. Effectively, verse 1 is saying to them, now it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessing, well, they will know that, but ultimately the curse which I have set before you, and you will call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you. Well, the Lord their God is only going to drive them into those places if they persist in unbelief, if they persist in disobedience. That, that is the ultimate curse, that they'll be cast out of the land and they will no longer know the blessing of being God's people in the land that he had promised to them. So there's certain exile going to happen. And some people read the book of Moses, uh, the book of Deuteronomy, as if Moses is giving a motivational talk. That he's basically saying to the Israelites, come on guys, you know, really gird up your loins. We'll learn the lessons of the last 40 years in, in the desert. You're a new generation. You can see the promised land in front of you. God has appointed Joshua to take over from me. Although I won't enter the land, he will. He'll go before you. Uh, and you'll take possession of the land. And you'll see the wonderful promises that I've given to you being fulfilled. And of course, a lot of Deuteronomy does sound like that. But there aren't many motivational speakers who then, at the end of their talk, turn around and say, but actually you're all going to fail and you're all going to get cast out. It's pretty disastrous what's going to happen to you. You can't do what God wants you to do. You're going to fail miserably. If you think you can, then Moses effectively is saying, I've wasted my breath. In what I've been recounting to you of what God has said, you've just not understood it at all. And it's not that Moses is being a pessimist, though you could forgive him for being a pessimist after all that he's seen of the failure of the children of Israel. He's just being a realist. He knows that sin is so deep-rooted in the human heart that unless there's a radical transformation of the heart, we can't do what God says. Even if we approve of what God says. Even if we say that what God says is good and we say, I want to walk in those ways. We can't do it. So here is a lesson in the book of Deuteronomy for all God's people. We need to be clear 
of what God expects of us. And as we saw this morning, he has set a standard of righteousness, which we keep on missing. We consistently fall short of. But the righteous standard is there. That's what God expects of us. And so we need to encourage one another to live lives that will both honour and please God. Recognise that God's way is the best. But we also have to be clear that we will fail in any attempt that we make to walk in God's ways by our own resolution or efforts. We must not rely on religious ritual and we must not rely on trying to keep the law by saying, well, the law is about being good. And if I'm good and people say that I'm good, then I must be good enough for God. We can't rely on just coming to church. We can't rely on being there in church and joining in with what happens in church. We can't accept just our parents' faith and say, well, they've walked in the right way. They've taught me the right things. I'm not going to rebel against them. We can't say that just by having a good reputation amongst others that God will be pleased with us and accept us. You see, outwardly keeping God's commandments, outwardly Seeking to live a righteous life does not indeed bring us favour with God. When we try in our strength, we show that we fail to understand the covenant that God has made properly. And the issue is this. We should know what to do, but also accept that we will never do it. Uh, in the way that God wants us to, unless we get some kind of outside help and experience a radical inward change. Two things, outside help and a radical inward change. Because we can't summon up enough determination or diligence to achieve what God wants. I'm sure um, that some of you at least will have perhaps thought of a New Year's resolution and in January the 1st you say to yourself, well I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do such and such, I'm going to really be different. Or you're going to say, I am going to do such and such else and I'll really commit myself to that. And we all know that we fall apart on that and it's usually only by about January the 3rd that we realise that it's beyond us. Sometimes people get on these diets, don't they? And they say, I'm really going to be determined. I'm going to stick to this diet. It's good for me. It's how I'm meant to be and and so on. But as the weeks go by and the cream cakes appear and the chocolate buns and whatever else, we find our resolution is not quite what we thought it was. In those simple ways, we demonstrate that we're weak and we fail all too easily. But in spiritual terms, as Romans 3.10 that we looked at this morning makes clear, there is no one righteous, not even one. It's not that there are lots of people who are not Christians who are not righteous. It's saying that there is no one righteous, not even one. Righteous in the sense that they have achieved that righteousness by any effort 
of their own. So what Israel needed, we need. And that is outside help and radical inside change. And what this passage is telling us is that only God can fix our heart because that's where the core of the problem is. This is what chapter 30 verses 2 to 8 and especially our text verse 6 are telling us. On a first or superficial reading we can think that there is guaranteed blessing for returning to God or for repentance because that is a theme in verses 2 to 8. But actually if you read it very carefully you will see that this is only true In a limited sense. If the heart of our problem is our heart, the core of our being, then true repentance is a step in the right direction. But something else is needed as well. It starts with a recognition of repentance. But it also needs to be taken further than that. And what is it that's really needed? Well, in Old Covenant terms, we're told that it's that we should have a circumcised heart. We might equate it to heart surgery. Um, I've had a bit of that, and I'm very thankful for it. Um, I think I could probably go so far as to say that it saved my earthly life, having that surgery. I'm, I'm here today, because they did some surgery on my heart that put right something that was wrong. But in spiritual terms, it's a far greater issue, isn't it? Because the core of our being, which the Bible refers to as our heart, not just the seat of our emotions, which is how in our modern culture we tend to refer to the heart, but the core of our being, our heart, is the place where the problem is. We often say, don't we, that the heart of the human, pro- uh, of the human condition, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And we all need to know this radical internal spiritual surgery that deals with our heart. As the passage that we have here says, verse 6, the Lord God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants. And what Moses is, is basically saying, all those centuries before we have the fuller explanation in the New Testament, is that it points to the necessity of spiritual regeneration. And this is the secret thing that's spoken of in verse 29. I'm sure, like me, you've used verse 29 in that more general sense of saying, well, there are things that we don't know because God has not chosen to reveal them to us, so they're the secret things. And there are the things revealed, which God has put in his word, and those are the things that we can know. And that is an application of that verse. But strictly speaking, in its context, what Moses is saying, there are things that have been revealed, which are revealed in the laws of the Old Covenant, and what God requires of his people. And there are secret things which will ultimately be revealed in the fullness of the gospel. And the secret thing that is going to be revealed is what this circumcise your heart really means. And we can see that this is the case if we 
if I just jump forward for you. Don't worry about turning to it for yourself. But in, in Ezekiel chapter 36 uh, and verses 24 to 28, Ezekiel writes this. Uh, and this is speaking for God. For I will take you from among the nations and gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take this heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. And, and so it continues. Now remember, Ezekiel is writing at the time when they're in exile. So they've experienced God's wrath against them for their persistent disobedience. Now they're in the land of exile and God is saying much the same thing to them as he said through Moses here. You need heart surgery. But Ezekiel puts it even stronger than just heart surgery. He says you, says you need a heart transplant. You need a new heart. And you need a new spirit in you. Otherwise, you're never going to be able to be the people that God wants you to be. If you don't experience that, then you'll go back to the land that God has promised you and you'll fail again. So we've got a clear pattern here that is telling us that though Deuteronomy is written within the old covenant context. It's, it's, it's anticipating the new covenant, covenant transformation. And Ezekiel, though he is writing towards the end of that old covenant era, he is also pointing forward to what the new covenant that God is making with his people will be like. And it's that that the Apostle Paul picks up then in his writings. So, for instance, in Romans 2 and verse 29, it says, A man is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter. In other words, he's shifting the focus and saying to them, Look, you've made so much, paid so much attention, you put so much focus on what the letter says, and you think that by just keeping to the letter, you can have that right relationship with God. But that's just not possible. Not to be able to say that you, you're a pious Jew, that you, you've kept God's law, that if you're a man, you've been circumcised and so forth. These things are not what the old covenant was about. What was needed was this inward circumcision of the heart. And it's only those who are truly the Lord's people who know this, whether they're from a Jewish or a Gentile background. So what does this circumcision of the heart mean? Well, it is referring to a kind of radical spiritual surgery. But it's performed by the Holy Spirit. And I want you to notice what this surgery achieves. Again, turn back to our text verse, for it says that this surgery will mean that you will be able to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. In other words, you won't just walk 
in a legalistic way, keeping God's law, but you'll actually love God with all your heart and with all your soul, right from the very depths of the core of your being. And so it means that our hearts are so changed and transformed that our duty according to the law becomes our natural desire. How does this circumcision get take place? How does this surgery, this radical spiritual surgery take place? Well, when in repentance and faith we come to Jesus and fully trust in him. Hear what Paul says to the Philippian believers. Philippians 3.3 3, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Or as again Paul says in Colossians 2 In him you were also circumcised with the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ How's that? Buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. So this is a work that's accomplished through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit. And when the Lord Jesus Christ was cut off at the cross for our sakes and suffered the curse of the lawbreaker, He makes it possible for those who trust in his saving work on the cross to know this inward work of the Holy Spirit which transforms. It radically changes us from within that we might have a desire to live in the way that pleases God. We're cut off from God by our sins. But this is the the, the third of the points that comes out indirectly from this passage. And that is that Jesus is the only one who can effect this transformation in us. It's his work that though we were cut off from God by our sins, that makes it possible for us to draw near and be in that right relationship with God. And it's all because Jesus himself was cut off from his father for us. And that's what brings about the remarkable work of the Holy Spirit in bringing about this radical change in our heart. When you've got time later, because time's racing on now, but when you've got time again later, look at Romans chapter 10 and especially verses 5 to 13. Romans 10, 5 to 13, because Paul uses the very statements of Moses here in Deuteronomy 30 to make this very same point. He understands, as Moses did, that we haven't got to go searching for this truth. The word is near. It's the word of the gospel, which for those under old covenant times was taking God at his word in the promises that he's given. And for us living in new covenant times, it's faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus has already done what's impossible for us. He's lived that perfect life. He's done it fully pleasing to God. And his righteousness is made ours when we look to him, when we call upon him, when we trust in his grace, work on the cross. 
as Paul points out in, in Romans 10.13, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. There will be that transforming work. And just as Moses said to the children, children of Israel here in Deuteronomy 30, so God would say to us this evening, this is the choice. Look at verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply. Or in verse uh, 19, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that both you and your descendants may, may live. Uh, and that choice that God, through Moses, set before the children of Israel, is the choice that God sets before us today. The choice between life and blessing and prosperity, or death, cursing and destruction. And that life and blessing and prosperity are all received spiritually through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're things that can only be known by those who've experienced this radical spiritual surgery of the heart. And the writings of Paul to Timothy, he says to Timothy, it has now been revealed by the appearing of our Saviour Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. These are the secret things that God has now brought to light in this age in which we live. That Christ has fulfilled all God's righteous requirements and it's through faith in him that we can know that experience of God transforming our heart so that we can live in a way that honours him. And the question that we can conclude with this evening is this, what have you chosen? What have you chosen? According to Moses, when we choose to know God in the way that he set himself forth, both here in the Old Covenant and now in the New Covenant, through what he has promised to do for us, that we can't do for ourselves, then we choose to love, verse 20. We choose to listen and obey. And we choose to cling to him, for he is our life. And it's what every person needs. Because a bad heart is natural to us all. We'd all be like the Israelites there in verse 1. Those who fail miserably. But we need to acknowledge that it's only God who can fix our heart. It's only he who has made it possible for us to have a new heart. And in what the Lord Jesus Christ has done at Calvary, in shedding his blood, in laying down his life, in taking our place that we might be set free and know the pardon of God, that we can be brought into that relationship with God whereby he transforms our heart so that for us it is a delight to praise him. It's a delight to know him. It's a delight to give him all the glory, honour and praise. It's a delight to live a life 
in the leading of the Spirit that pleases the Lord. That doesn't mean that we don't still fail and we don't still make mistakes. But it does mean that we do know a sensitivity towards sin and we have this deep desire to do what pleases our God. Have you chosen life? Have you chosen life? Have you believed the gospel? Have you truly trusted in Christ? Have you known that inward transformation of the heart? And do you know that outward help of God the Holy Spirit that you might walk in the ways that please God and bring honour and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ? Because that's what God wants for us all. He says to us, choose life. Choose life. Let's just take a moment to be quiet before the Lord, shall we? And respond to him in whatever he's been saying to us. Uh, For some, it might be that tonight is the time to make that choice. Uh, For others, it might be just to thank God that he ever revealed these things to you. And gave you the faith to trust in and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And to know that you've been made new by the precious work of regeneration by the Holy Spirit.